0: Lately, we've seen a flock of talented folks start generative AI companies. The application layer in particular has become very crowded. How can you stand out from the pack? Jasper is one generative AI company that has made enormous strides in doing so. I met CEO Dave Rogan Moser in the fall of 2021 after he and his team of nine people had grown the company from zero to 40 million in ARR in nine months. You might have thought that they got lucky because they were among the first to market. But as they continue to grow at an astounding pace, they've steadily built walls around their business. I sat down with Jasper's CMO, Megan Keeney Anderson, to discuss what are the latest trends in generative AI? What has driven Jasper's ongoing success? And what can other generative AI companies learn from Jasper's playbook? You can listen to the podcast or else read the lightly edited transcript. Let's dive in. Megan, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to chat about all things generative AI. Thanks for joining. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's such a great topic. Let's start with giving folks a lay of the land of the generative AI landscape. I think most people who listen to this podcast know about ChatGPT, but how should we think about the landscape as a whole? It's funny because it has
1: just erupted over the last few months, and so it It simultaneously feels like we're just soaking in generative AI everywhere around us. And then also there's still a lot of confusion about, you know, how all these pieces fit together and what you should be thinking about in particular as a a business leader um, facing this kind of new shift. So the way that I like to think about the AI landscape is at the very foundational layer, there is the data and the data is produced through like a compute layer that really takes this just enormous amount of text and image and source material that then the language learning models can train on. So there's this compute layer um, that really powers the uh, learning models. Then there are learning models, which is what most people think of when they think about AI today. So that's your open AI, stability, all these different kind of you know, open source or closed source models that kind of pull from the data and generate the AI outputs, or at least baseline AI outputs. Then on top of that, um, there are a set of applications that either plug directly into those language models and directly just kind of pull the outputs into um, their platforms, so for example, um, Notion uh kind of plugs into, I believe it's OpenAI and pulls the outputs directly into their platform without much change. And then there are tools and applications like Jasper, my company, which you know, starts with a selection of baseline models, chooses the right one, lays into that things like recent, you know, search citations, uh, your company's brand voice. Uh, You know, SEO optimization kind of tries to enhance the outputs to make them more tailored and uh, a better fit for businesses. So that's kind of the layers. It's the compute layer, the language layer, language learning model layer, and then the applications on top of that. So that basically means that AI is everywhere. I think we should think about it as almost kind of like a utility, like the internet itself, but there's lots of different ways to engage it.
0: That's a super helpful overview. I know also that things are changing really quickly. So what would you say are the biggest trends happening in generative AI right now? It's just the rapid iteration,
1: I think, is like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, I think the leaps that this thing is taking month over month, announcement over announcement, it feels like every announcement is sort of up leveling the the prior one. And I think for a while it's going to be like that, where we're just in this really explosive period. And you know, it's a rising tide and everybody is learning at the same time and feeding off of each other's uh, lessons. As far as trends go, you know, I think about for businesses, I think there are a few themes that I'll say kind of are rising to the top of the discussion right now. Um, and this, you know, uh, we've, we've heard from our customers. We hear from sort of the broader industry. So one theme is a question of, you know, how do we take generic outputs from AI, which are really beautifully written, but still kind of generic and infuse our own tone of voice, our own brand to make them more tailored to the way that we within this company write or create. So I think this idea of, of on-brand personalized AI is a really interesting topic that I'm hearing more and more conversation around. Um, Obviously I've got some bias there because we play in that space, but that's, Definitely, you know, we did a recent survey with a bunch of different marketing leaders and wanting more tailored AI was high, it was like top three in their um in their asks of where they want AI to go from here. The second big theme that I hear is around um it's around like questions of security and um you know, plagiarism and ownership and these sort of like very important legal and, and safety questions that are, are very stages of being sort of sussed out, right? When it comes to AI, this happens a lot when a technology just accelerates so fast. There's a little bit of catch up to be done um, with the way that we regulate and the sort of the, the protections that are in place. And so that's another big topic I hear people talking about. And then the third, and I'll stop there, is um, has been a, a longstanding topic in AI, and it's important that it, it's still at the forefront of discussion, which is the kind of inherent bias and um, uh, inaccuracies that can be found in AI and sort of what we should do as, um, as an industry about those, right? And as a, as a technology about those. So those are the ones that I think Are most commonly talked about. I think there are also concerns, which I'm sure we'll hit on around like, what does this mean for, you know, this is a content creation technology. What does this mean for content creators? And, you know, there's loads to explore there as well.
0: Wow. We could have probably five different podcasts to cover all of those. That was an amazing overview. And I'm trying to be really deliberate about the follow-up questions that I asked because my mind is fitting right now. I'd love to follow up on one of the topics you mentioned, which is the demand from the market to have personalized outputs to the company's brand or maybe a personal brand. On that note, my husband actually decided to play a joke on me. And in chat, GPT said, write a blog post using the tone of Allison Pickens. And it actually spit out a blog post that content wise was very poor, but the tone actually matched how I talk really well. Oh, that's awesome. Was it awesome or was it scary? Where where were you at on that? Yeah, well, (laughs) actually, what was funny was he didn't tell me what the prompt was when he showed it to me. And my first reaction was, This doesn't make a lot of sense, but I like the way it's written. (laughs) And then he said, actually, the prompt was make it written by you. So clearly, like there was some affinity there, but also it was like, oh, no, are people just going to start mimicking me? Like You know, I probably not. I think people have better things to do with their time. But that example made me wonder, can GPT... Do the personalization itself or like what else do you need to do in order to make sure that these generative AIs can produce output that's consistent with the company's brand or or your personal brand?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's all about the training materials that they've been using. So if, for example, you are looking to create in the tone of someone who is very prolific already, who's very well established, has tons of writing on the Internet, the odds are you'll be able to to mirror and mimic that tone, at least in some respects, right? My favorite thing in the world is, you know, going into a chat tool and trying to write in the the voice of, you know, Morgan Freeman or Willie Nelson, right? It's just fun, right? But I think that the level of personalization that we need to get to from there is, how do we allow companies that maybe don't even have a a ton of um established writing just yet or maybe weren't part of that training set. How do we allow them to infuse their standards, their tones, their um style guide directly into um into the the AI tools that they're using in a reliable way, in a repeatable way? I think that's kind of like the next leap. And that takes some tailoring of the underlying model that you're using. I think there's a lot of different ways or a couple of different ways that you can go about doing that. But that's, I think, the next leap
0: forward. You mentioned different layers of the generative AI stack. Which categories of software are you most bullish on? As a user, I really like
1: the application layer. I've been a marketer for 20 years. I have felt those content demand. I think it is just really powerful when you take what is already a powerful piece of technology and you make the interface and the application of it so practical. Motion did a really nice job video. And I think that Canva, how they sort of bring through an API, bring assistance in right into the Canva app. I think that sort of thing makes AI real to people. And frankly, ChatGPT, when it came out, it was really about the interface. That was what made it take off is that it was so approachable uh, in the difference that it could make in people's lives. And so I think that really captures people's imagination.
0: As I think about the application layer, I've noticed in meeting with various startups that there's a lot of activity happening at this layer. I notice a lot of companies trying to create generative AI that produces talking points for sales or other customer-facing people. Recently, have met with a couple of companies that it's generative AI for product design. So basically, you can input in English the kind of web app that you want, and the product will spit it out. And there have been you know, many different categories where I've noticed there's just you know, a huge amount of talent being siphoned into these problem areas. Do you think that some categories are less competitive than others, or do you think it's just this giant gold rush at the moment? Inherently, there will be some categories that are less
1: competitive than others just because the pain point won't be as strong or the use case won't be as strong. I also think that there are some categories that are riskier than others to use AI in, right? I think that it's one thing to have an idea for a blog post and leverage AI to help get you over writer's block to convey your ideas better, but they're still your original ideas it's another thing to rely kind of entirely on AI to spit out information that you need to make decisions. And I think that that doesn't mean that one's good and one's bad. It just means that there's like different risk levels for different categories and different things that AI solves. People keep asking, like, is this a bubble? Is this like everybody's rushing in and it's going to pop? And six months or whatever. And I think the reality is, yeah, some businesses in this space that are getting in now, they aren't going to make it. There's going to be some consolidation. There's a bevy of activity right now. But I don't think that that means that AI is a bubble. I think what that means is we've just opened up this enormous era of potential. And people are jumping in to test out what's actually going to work and stick for this technology. And I think that's a positive thing. Like I like seeing more companies get into the AI space. One, because it raises awareness of what this thing is. My mom now knows what this is. She's constantly asking me if college students are going to use it to cheat. But beyond that, <laughs> she knows about it, right? And we can have that that discussion. And I think that the more applications get into this, the more common and simple that discourse will be to happen. And then I think it'll sort out a little bit. I think there will be some consolidation around the very best use cases. Some use cases will decide uh, it didn't quite fit. And that's like a natural evolution, I think.
0: Yeah, I see that. It sounds like we're in this experimentation stage and some experiments are going to succeed and people will build big companies and some of them will fail. And perhaps those people will join the other companies that are successful, but at least we're all learning right now and contributing value in the sense that we're helping the ecosystem learn.
1: Yeah, and remember that like every one of those companies, ourselves included, They're making decisions and bets based on the information that they have today. But whenever you're in an industry or space that is changing as much as this is day by day, those use cases are going to change the bets that you made. They may pay off huge, even more than you thought, or they may not be relevant in a couple of months. But again, like I don't see that as like volatility or like something that should give companies pause. I see that as let's go into this thing ready to pivot because it is big enough and powerful enough for us to build whole ecosystems of new products and ideas to market.
0: Let's say you're in one of these very competitive categories and you're trying to break away from the pack. What would you say are the primary things that you can do to make your company more defensible, more dominant, create moats around your business? Well, so I think you got to really understand at a foundational level
1: what it is that makes you different. You got to ask that question. It starts with differentiation, which is why is it that you should exist to begin with? There's some reason, some need was not sufficiently addressed in the options out there today to make your existence necessary. And you have to establish that and be really clear about that because in a world where there are a lot of different ways that you can build and expand your business, uh, it can be really easy to get distracted. But what is your reason for existence in this space and your differentiation from the field today. Now that's going to change as the field changes. And so you want to sort of constantly check in on, is that differentiation still defensible? Is it still strong? If you start to see it slipping, what else are you like to check in on the, on the industry again and your customers again and figure out, have they evolved? Do they have new needs that are being, that are not being met? So I think there is this sort of like, I would advise companies do not focus on competition. Do not get distracted by competition, but do know your place in the market and understand why you're different um, and, and invest there, right? So that could be product differences. It could be, hey, you've got some proprietary thing that nobody else has and it's really wanted. It could be branding and community differences that like, hey, you just do a great job executing on the go-to-market. And that's where your strength is going to be. You're going to outmarket people and outbrand them. Could be community that, like, hey, you really understand your audience and you've narrowed that audience to such a place where they feel a sense of inclusion and they don't feel that elsewhere. So there's lots of different levers you can pull for differentiation, but it's important to keep a tight eye on it
0: in a changing space. I think I agree the differentiation will be really important. I do notice that in many of these categories, the products within them seem basically identical. I think that founders might disagree with that. But at a basic level, I think from a user standpoint, they seem quite similar. It strikes me that some of these categories, it's got to be all about the go-to-market. What you said, the brand, the community... Do you notice any strategies on the go-to-market front being particularly successful? You could also speak to Jasper's success in this area, since I have noticed you all doing an amazing job there.
1: Well, why don't I speak to Jasper in general, how we kind of see our place in the market, just as like by way of example. So Jasper came out in January of 2021, so just about two years ago, and they were early into making an application meant for marketers and meant for businesses. So obviously AI was around, generative AI was around, but there really wasn't, there weren't a lot of companies doing this very practical application of it. And very early in, they got, I say they because I wasn't at the company yet at that point, but very early in, Jasper got very strong traction because they addressed a acute pain point that marketers felt. They knew marketers really well. The founders come from marketing backgrounds and they just solved a pain point really well. Then they layered onto that with their marketing background, very strong on go-to-market. The very first year to year to 18 months, it was entirely just market the pain. Solve the pain, market it, and the customers will come, and they did. Now, as the field grew more crowded, that pain still exists, but that's no longer enough to differentiate because now there's like two or three other companies that pop up that sort of address that same pain for that same audience. So then you have to ask the question, well, what makes our approach different? And so for Jasper, we looked around and we saw that, yeah, there's a ton of generative AI tools out there. There's a ton of, there's 15 chat knockoffs, but what is it that we sort of offer that we feel like most of those others don't? And that for us came down to two things. One was that, you know, we weren't just sitting on top of OpenAI or any other language model. We had an engine that was, choosing between different models for the best use case for marketers in a given as, and then layering in things like your brand voice that you can teach uh, Jasper about your company uh, so that it remembers that brand voice, layering in things like facts and uh, more reliable stats, and really just kind of enhancing that output so that it is more on brand, more reliable, and a better fit for marketers. So that was like thing one is the ability to tailor to your brand and needs as a business. And then the other thing that we didn't see a lot of other companies doing was combining that on-brand AI assistance with the extensibility of being able to go wherever you wanted to create and call up Jasper with a keystroke. So our extensions, our um, you know, forthcoming API, these are all things that enable you to have your AI not tied so much to the tools that you use but really tied to you as a user and as a business and available wherever you create. So that ended up being the product differentiation. And, you know, you'll see our more and more of that in our marketing, the way we talk about ourselves, but I'll tell you what, like in another year, there may be other companies that have, have caught up with that feature differentiation. Right. Um, And we'll need to look at that again. And so I think you need to build on all three categories feature differentiation, marketing and brand differentiation, and then community at the same time, because it's the combination of the three that will help you go through those growth stages and
0: not be overly reliant on anyone. It's really interesting hearing your perspective on the ways in which Jasper is responsible now. I remember when I got involved in fall of 2021 It was the Facebook community that at the time was one of the things that was catalyzing their growth and differentiation more than other factors. Like the fact that there were all these people coming together in this online community, sharing tips for how to use Jasper, how to get the best results from it you know, sharing the results that they got and expressing enthusiasm about them. I remember just feeling like this really emotional journey that you were facilitating for users. Do you think that the Facebook group was really core in the early days? But since then, there have been other things you've layered on top of that that have been even more important. It was really core
1: in the early days. It's really core now, too. I mean, I think
0: when I first I first joined the
1: company in September and at that point there were 70,000 people. Engaged people, I think is the key word, like to your point, sharing recipes, you know, uh, presenting their work for feedback, that kind of thing. Um, I was really taken aback by how engaged and active that community is. And the reality is those were the pioneers, like the users that were getting into AI before all of their peers. And so we really treated them as pioneers in that we would release products to them early early. Get their opinion on things, like make sure they felt and still feel a core part of our product and our go to market. I think it's like sitting around 80,000 today. It is still just as active and just as supportive as it was in those early days. And our plans are only to grow it and to expand it into other channels and do more with it. But those are, that's our crew. You're doing something right if you've got a collection of that many people who came because of you but are now truly a community outside of you.
0: Megan, this has been an awesome conversation and I would really love to continue it sometime, but we are running out of time in closing, if you had a quick tip to offer to a startup founder that's building in the generative AI space, what would that tip be? Dive in and be ready to move. I think that again,
1: there's so much change, there are new models all the time, there are new innovations all the time, and You have to be ready to sort of surf with those changes. But if you can, if you get those sea legs and you have the clear insight into the problem you're solving, what is the saying? Like, true hearts, clear eyes, can't fail. There's just so much potential here still. Even though so many companies are in it now, it still very much feels like early days. It still very much feels like it's anyone's game. And, you know, we're going to see more bigger players. Obviously, Microsoft and Google are very loud in this game and are doing some incredible things themselves. But I think there's room in here. So I don't know if that's good advice. It's more just encouragement. Come on in. The water's nice.
0: I love how you ended with a quote from Friday Night Lights. You you (laughs) like won over my heart and mine. Thank you so much for joining us, Megan. That was just for you.